Well, again, good morning, and uh, you know, uh, exciting to hear about all the stuff that's been going on at the building, but, uh, but here's what I'm most excited about this past week, and that is the 30-something uh, Feed Our City parties that happened across our community, and to those of you who hosted those parties, thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of that, and uh, let me just encourage you in a couple of ways, uh, kind of based on some of my experience with all of this. Um, uh, maybe you're like uh, Peg and I, we had our party yesterday. Uh, right about the time that it was raining, you know. So, you know what, we didn't get the response that we had hoped for, but a couple of people stopped by to drop things off, and one guy came and uh, spent over an hour just talking with us. And so I want to encourage you, if you didn't get the, the turnout that you thought, you made some great steps just by beginning to have those conversations. And so I encourage you, don't feel like, oh, it wasn't as good. No, it, it was a success, even if you just had some conversations with your neighbors. Secondly, let me encourage you this. It was a first step, and I'd encourage you in the next couple of months to take a second attempt at it, not to collect canned goods, but uh, what we talked about at our house last night is, uh, you know, early in December, I think, we're going to try to just uh, pass out some invitations to some of those same neighbors and say we're having a, you know, Christmas dessert gathering at our house and, and see who comes, and just keep offering those invitations, keep extending and working at building those relationships so that we earn the right to have that relationship and we earn the right to speak truth into their lives about Jesus Christ. So I encourage you. It's a great thing. Thank you for participating in that. And uh, hope you were blessed by it. I want to tell you some things that I, I find boring in life. Okay? Uh, some of these you might agree with. And some of you are going to go, I can't believe you think that's boring. Here's one thing that I think is boring. I think shopping is boring. Okay? Now, not, not guy shopping. Okay? You know, guy shopping is seek and destroy. What do we need? Let's get it and get out of here. So I'm okay with that. But woman shopping, okay? Looking around all the time. Now, I love my wife, and sometimes I go and I try to be patient because I love her more than anything. But it's boring. I mean, it's just boring. Here's another thing. Thank you. And uh, here, here's another one. You might be surprised that I find this boring. I think baseball is boring. Yeah, I know, I'm sorry, some of you find that really entertaining, but it's like the slowest game ever created. You know, I need a little action like football or basketball. Let's keep things moving along, but it just takes forever. With all due respect to, uh, you know, the our uh, resident professional baseball player, I don't know if he's here today, but, uh, you know, I enjoy it when I'm watching somebody I know. But beyond that, I, I'm not big. Here, here's another thing that I think would be boring. I've never actually experienced it, but I've had people tell me about it, and when they describe it, it always sounds really boring to me. Deer hunting. Because here's my perception of it. I may be totally wrong about how this actually goes, but here's what I hear. Here's, what I hear is, you, you know, you have this tree stand that you place out there, and you climb up in the tree stand early in the morning, like before it even gets light, which that doesn't sound fun to begin with, and then you sit there for hour after hour after hour, and, you know, a stupid deer may never come by for you to shoot. That just sounds boring to me. Now, the last one, some of you guys are really going to have a problem with, okay? But it's just me, okay? I understand you find it fun. I don't know why, but I understand you find it fun. I think fishing is boring. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. But you know, maybe it's just I had a bad experience. Maybe I scared the fish away. I mean, there have been a few times where we caught a lot of fish, and that seemed kind of fun. But most of the time when I go, you just sit there and nothing happens. I don't catch a single fish for hours. And that seems boring to me. I want to tell you about a couple of guys today. And, and they may have at times felt like it was boring too. Now, I know for them, 
it was a hardworking, honest way to earn a living. And I'm sure the times when the nets were full of fish, that was quite a rush. But on those days when they sat there hour after hour with empty nets, I wonder if it wasn't boring for them too. That is until that day when everything changed. And that day is recorded in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. And listen to how everything changes for them. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed Him. Going on from there, He saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed Him. And I have to wonder, did they realize that on that day, their lives were going to move from boring to pandemonium just three years later? I mean, I wonder if they could have possibly have imagined themselves what they would be doing just three short years later. I don't think in their wildest dreams they could have ever seen themselves teaching and preaching like they would do just three years later. I mean, but that's exactly what happened. When these fishermen decided to to drop their nets and follow Jesus, Jesus unleashed them. Jesus gave them later the power of the Holy Spirit. And He changed them into and unleashed them to be world-changing difference makers. And we've been exploring for the last several weeks as we're working our way through the first few book, few chapters of the book of Acts, the, the reality that God wants to unleash all of us, His church today, to continue to be difference makers in our world. Maybe to move us from boring to some pandemonium. So today I want to look in Acts chapter 3. And so I hope you brought your Bible. Would you find your way to Acts chapter 3? We're going to look at the story that's here and it moves on actually into chapter 4. And we're going to look at some pieces of it. And I encourage you to make sure you read this section yourself later on too. And if you've been following the SOAP guide this week, you've already read chapters 3 and 4 on October 3rd and 4th. So you know what story we're going to look at here. All right, here's, here's how it goes. Acts chapter 3 verse 1. One day, Peter and John, we've heard those names before, right? Those are the guys that Jesus called to follow him. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. He probably thought they were an easy sell. Here are people going to the temple to worship. I bet they'll give me money. Verse three, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. So this this crowd gathers. 
Peter's a sharp guy. He's maybe getting kind of used to speaking to the crowds now. And so he sees this crowd gathers and he thinks, I'm not going to pass up the opportunity. I'm going to teach again. And in fact, if you read chapter 3, verses 11 through 26, you find that Peter repeats a lot of the same principles that he taught on the day of Pentecost that we looked at a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 2. And he takes advantage of this moment to tell people about Jesus Christ and to remind them that it was because of their sin that Jesus died on the cross. And Peter, Peter shares a passion-filled, history-filled, truth-filled, grace-filled, hope-filled message right there on the front porch of the temple. And you know what? His words cause quite a stir. He gets some attention. In fact, listen to what happens when you move over into chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, now these were religious leaders of their day, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They, the leaders, were greatly disturbed because the apostles, Peter and John, were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead, a theology, a belief that they didn't share. Verse 3, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. They had created some pandemonium, and so they put him in jail overnight. Then in verse 7, we move on to the next day, and they dragged these guys before the religious council. Verse 7 says, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Then listen to verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, verse 13 is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Think about what it says. It says that this same guys, Peter and John, just three years earlier, these were the same guys who were sitting in their boat as fishermen, maybe bored with life. And now look at them. Look at their passion. Look at their courage. Look at their confidence. What makes the difference? The end of that verse tells us in very plain language. They had been with Jesus. They had spent time with Jesus and Jesus' wife had rubbed off on their life. And they were changed by it. Between my junior and senior years in college, I was an intern at a church in Atlanta, Georgia, Mount Carmel Christian Church. And uh, man, I I was every bit of a northern boy when I went to Atlanta. And I was surrounded by all of these people who spoke with this uh, very, you know, clear southern accent. I mean, you know, you've heard the accent in Atlanta. 
And I learned to eat some foods that I'd never eaten before, all kinds of things. But I was exposed for three months to this southern Atlantic draw, you know, that they speak with. Guess what happened to me by the time I went back to college just three months later? Yeah, I was using that same southern draw. It took me several weeks to get my life straightened back out again, get on course. They rubbed off on me. Just by living in their houses and spending time with me, their southern accents rubbed off on me. And verse 13 indicates that Peter and John and the other apostles, the other disciples, Jesus' life had rubbed off on them because they had spent time with them. And it had changed them. It had changed who they were, how they thought, and what they did. Well, move on to verse 18, and this story sort of wraps up. Verse 18 says, Then they called them in again. That would be Peter and John. And they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We don't care what you say. We're going to keep talking about what we've experienced with Jesus. Verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all of the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now, you know, it's not recorded in the Bible, and this is just my guess, but I, I just wonder, what was the conversation between Peter and John when they left the religious council that day? I mean, I, I sort of picture it going something like this. You know, John says to Peter, Peter, you know, yesterday when you reached down to that guy and you said, be healed, he said, that made me a little nervous because I thought, what if it doesn't happen? What if it doesn't work? We're going to look pretty foolish. And Peter says, yeah, I thought the same thing. But wasn't that cool when God actually did heal him? And I could see these guys high-fiving each other and some chest bumps and they're jumping around and they're bouncing down the street. I mean, they're... They can't believe. They can't believe what God has been doing through them. They can't believe the pandemonium that's been caused through the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Incredible. Let me ask you a question. Are you bored with life? You know what the answer is? It's to follow Jesus to let His life rub off on your life and to let God unleash you to become a difference maker. I mean, maybe you feel like your life just doesn't have any sense of adventure anymore. You're just not passionate about much. I mean, you're, you're just stuck. Like, I see far too many people just stuck in the routines of everyday life. What if God wanted to move you from calm and comfortable to pandemonium. What if God wanted to unleash some pandemonium in our church? What if in our church we got to the point where we saw hundreds of people coming to Christ? And what would it be like in your life if you decided to let your light shine brightly in your neighborhood or at your workplace and you began to see people turning their life over to Jesus Christ. That'd be some pandemonium, wouldn't it? Would you like to see that happen in your life? Would you like some pandemonium? 
I would. I would. So let me point out briefly this morning some truths about pandemonium. About moving from just the routine of everyday life like these guys were doing as fishermen to the pandemonium that they experienced three years later when the Holy Spirit was unleashed in their lives and they became difference makers. Here's the first truth. Pandemonium requires diving in. It requires diving in. All right, now be honest. How many of you are toe testers? You know what I mean when you go to get in the pool? Yeah, you stick your toes in. Oh, that's cold. This is me. I'll admit it. That's how I get in the pool. Stick your toes in. And then, then, you know, go into maybe your ankles. Stand there for a minute. Kind of contemplate. Should I go any further? Okay, I'll give it a try. You know, and then you go to your knees. Kind of let that warm up a little bit. Then maybe you take another step in and it's up to your waist now. That's how I get in the pool. But I'm telling you what, that's a miserable way. It is. It's a miserable way to get in the pool. Let me show you. This is how you ought to get in the pool. I have no idea who that little girl is, but that, that's how you do it, man. You jump in. You just jump right in. And you know what happens? The ripples go all the way out to the side of the pool. And they come back in again. And they go back out again. And they come back in. And you know what? I think that's what it looks like to really follow Jesus. I think Jesus would invite us as His followers to jump in with some reckless abandon and to cause some ripples to go out from our lives. I think God would call us as His church to be ripple makers for eternity. You want to experience some pandemonium? Then you've got to dive in. You've got to jump in with some reckless abandon and follow Jesus and let the power of the Holy Spirit truly be unleashed in your life. You can't be a toe tester. And that's what a lot of us in the church are. We're just toe testers. You know, we keep sticking our toes in the pool, see if anything happens. Eh. You know what, church? It's time that we dive in with some reckless abandon and experience some pandemonium. I love the song that Stephen Curtis Chapman did several years ago now. The words go like this. I'm diving in. I'm going deep. In over my head, I want to be. Caught in the rush, lost in the flow. In over my head, I want to go. The river's deep, the river's wide, the river's water is alive, so sink or swim, I'm diving in. How about you? Pandemonium requires getting to the point that you dive in. Sink or swim, I'm diving in. See what happens with God. Here's the second truth. Pandemonium is not safe. It's not safe. I mean, do you think that Peter and John felt safe when they were thrown into prison overnight? You think Peter and John felt safe when they were dragged before the religious council the next morning? Or how about verse 21 where it says, and after further threats, they let them go. You think that felt safe? I doubt it. I really doubt it. But you know what I'm pretty sure of? I'm pretty sure that Peter and John never regretted for even one second the literally thousands of people who became followers of Jesus Christ because they were willing to dive in even when it didn't feel safe. And pandemonium, it's just not always safe. Erwin McManus is a pastor in Los Angeles on the West Coast. He said this one day, 
He said, I have made it a commitment of mine to destroy a cliche that permeates Christianity. He writes, this is what I hear people in churches say. The safest place to be is right in the center of the will of God. Now that sounds beautiful and comforting, but it's not biblical. That's not the picture of the Bible. Yes, God invites us to be in the center of His will, but you know what? Getting into the center of His will doesn't mean that it's always safe. I mean, ask Peter and John. I mean, can you imagine saying to them, hey, Peter and John, you're right in the center of God's will. Does it feel safe? No. It didn't feel safe. But were they doing exactly what God had called them to do? Absolutely. But it didn't feel safe. And I promise you, I promise me, that when we decide to just dive in and we get involved in some pandemonium, it may be exactly what God calls us to do, but it won't always feel safe. Peter and Jesus one day, while Jesus was still here on earth, were having a conversation and they were talking about really understanding what does it mean that Jesus is Lord. And they kind of wrap that conversation up and and Jesus closes the whole conversation with, with these words in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, on this principle that we've been talking about, that Jesus is Lord, I will build my church. And then he says, then he wraps it up with these words. And he says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Have you ever stopped to think, what does that phrase actually mean? Jesus talks about gates, the gates of Hades. Now, when we think about gates, don't we usually think of some kind of defensive weapon? I mean, you don't think of a gate as an offensive weapon, do you? I mean, I've never heard anybody say, I'm going to take my gate and I'm going to come charging after you and try to kill you with my gate. No, we think of a gate as a source of protection. A gate is something that you get behind when you feel threatened by the enemy and you're trying to protect what you already have and so you you get behind the gate. So it's interesting. Jesus seems to paint the picture here that Satan, our enemy, hides behind his gates trying to protect what he already has. And Jesus paints the picture that it is the, it's the church that it's Christ followers who are supposed to be on the offensive. That we're the ones that are supposed to be aggressive in charging the gates of hell and trying to reach in and pull anyone who is hell-bound back to safety and point them to Jesus. That doesn't always sound safe, does it? C.T. Studd wrote, Some people like to live within the sound of church bells. I would rather run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Think there's some pandemonium in that? Yeah, absolutely. Does it feel safe? Probably not. But that might be exactly what God calls us to do in our lives if we're going to create some ripples. Here's another truth. Pandemonium isn't created by yourself. Isn't created by yourself. You know what? When, when Peter and John were thrown in prison... Do you think they found the courage to deal with that within themselves? No. It was the Holy Spirit. When Peter stood and spoke that day to thousands of people while he stood on the porch of the temple, do you think they found that courage within himself? No. It was the power of the Holy Spirit working within him. 
And if we're going to move in our lives from the boring routine of life to being involved in some pandemonium, the power to do that isn't found within ourselves. It's not there. It's not in my life. It's found in the Holy Spirit working in and through us. And that's really where we began in this series a few weeks ago, isn't it? With that reminder that Jesus said to His followers, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit full of power to work in your lives. So let me review for just a minute where we've been to sort of make sure we're keeping up with where we're headed here because all of this ties together. We, we talked about in week one the fact that if we're going to really listen to the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit's going to have influence in our lives, then we, we need to make sure that our lives are in step or in sync with the Holy Spirit. And so I challenge you, and I hope you've still been doing this, I challenge you about seven times a day, maybe every couple of hours, to sort of stop what you're doing, to have something that reminds you to stop and ask, Holy Spirit, what are you up to? And what do you want to do in my life over the next few minutes? Have you been doing that? If not, let me remind you and encourage you, let's get back in that habit so that we can get our lives in sync and in step with the Holy Spirit so that His power can be unleashed in us. Then we talked in another week about how valuable it is for us to be connected in community with other Christ followers. Because you know what? The kind of stuff that we're talking about, this moving from boring to pandemonium, is not the kind of thing you take on all by yourself. You need some other Christ followers around you that you've built relationship with. Because it gets challenging. It doesn't always feel safe. And we need some other people that we're connected with, that we're doing life together with, who will help encourage us in the midst of the pandemonium. And then last week, Dan talked about the, the value of God's book, the Bible, and how the early church modeled the fact that understanding what Jesus taught and getting that into their head and their hearts and then living it out was so important. And the way that happens for us is what we have recorded in the Bible. And that we need to be regular studiers, regular students, regular people who sit down regularly and read this book that just a, a small diet of me teaching it to you on Sundays, that's not nearly enough. That all of us in our own lives need to be in the habit of reading the Bible every day. And he challenged you last week to uh, SOAP, uh, which is just an acronym for a way to kind of think about what the Bible... And I, I want you to understand that uh, as we challenged you to do that, it wasn't just some passing thing that we thought, well, you know, we hope a couple of people do that. No, we, we want this to become ingrained in who we are as a church because we want to be people where the Holy Spirit is unleashed, we're making a difference in our community. So I want to challenge you again and go back and kind of just remind you what he said last week. To, I've been soaping for a long time, and I just go out and buy one of these cheap composition books. And uh, every day I open it up, and I, you know, we passed out these guides last week, so if you weren't here, you can stop out at uh, the connection point and pick one of these up, and it's a guide that tells you what passage we're reading together as a church. And it's just not a, a fad that, oh, we're going to do this for a couple months and this will go away. Um, it's going to become part of who we are. And when this guide runs out, we'll publish another one. And we want to be on the same page, studying the same thing together so that we're moving in the same direction. And, and then I, I take a minute every day. to. I, this week I've been doing the soap. And so this morning I got up. It's October 9th. And in our schedule, that means Acts chapter 9. And I read that whole chapter before I went to the office and uh, looked for some verses that spoke to me. And then under the S, I, I wrote out one verse. And then I took some time to really think about that verse and what it means to my life. And, and under the O for observation, I wrote out some observations. And uh, I tried reading those in first service, but between my eyesight and my scribbles, I had trouble communicating what I'd actually written, so we won't even go there today. 
And, and then after thinking about, you know, here's some things that teaches, I, I try to decide, well, what's one application for my life? Well, what's one thing that I'm going to really concentrate? And under the A for application, I wrote that down. And then under the P, I wrote out just a short prayer about that application, about, God, how, how can I apply this to my life? How can I remember it? And it it's a great tool. It's made a huge difference in my life. And I, I want to encourage you to find, to use this tool and to make reading the God's Word, because the, the Word of God is the fuel that we need in our lives to allow the Holy Spirit to really work in and through us. Mark Batterson, who is another pastor, has, uh, has written a book called Chasing the Wild Goose, which sounds like a crazy title, but the, the picture of the wild goose comes from the Celtic Christians. And uh, the Celtic Christians had a term for the Holy Spirit, and when you translate their term for the Holy Spirit, it translates into English as a wild goose. And so really their concept was that the Holy Spirit was this like incredible being that was out there doing some amazing things. And so the book talks about this picture of sort of chasing the wild goose. And he says in the book that we have sort of this inverted idea of spirituality. Our idea of spirituality is, God, won't you join me on my journey? And we say to the Holy Spirit, won't you help me accomplish my purposes? That's really backwards. Because what we ought to be thinking is, God, how can I join you on your journey? And Holy Spirit, what are the purposes that you have intended for me to accomplish in my life? And think, think, what a wild adventure that would be if we would chase after the Holy Spirit like that. I think everything we've talked about is summed up in a couple of verses in Romans chapter 12. And I want you just to think about what the writer says here and how this applies to your life for a second. So here's what I want you to do, he says. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you just fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed. From the inside out, readily recognize what He wants for you and quickly respond to it. So here's my challenge today. Let's decide that we, we each as individuals, and we as a church, want some pandemonium. And let's decide that it's time for us to, to dive in, sink or swim. We're going to dive in and recklessly follow Jesus wherever He leads us. And we're going to keep following and pursuing and listening to the Holy Spirit and asking it for it to be unleashed in our lives until we have changed our community. So hundreds of people have come to name Jesus Christ as their Savior. Would you be in for that kind of journey? Would you be in for that kind of pandemonium? Let's stand and pray together. So God, I'm asking you this morning very boldly to work powerfully in each of us. God, we're going to jump in with reckless abandon and pursue you and follow you. God, we are diving in, sink or swim. And we're asking you to take our lives and to create ripples across our city. God, to move us from just routine, boring lives to some pandemonium. And God, we can't wait to watch as you change lives as we jump in and follow you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.